0: Answering more of your questions about ensuring business aircraft held under an LLC. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan, brought to you by Varyon, formerly ATP. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the very latest business aviation news and information. Earlier this year, an NBAA NewsHour webinar tackled some of your most commonly asked questions regarding insurability of business aircraft held under Limited Liability Companies, or LLCs. And there were a lot of questions, more than could be answered over the course of an hour. So today, I'm pleased to welcome three of the presenters from that webinar to tackle some of those questions that went unanswered. Joanne Barbera is partner at Barbera & Watkins, LLC. David Norton is partner and head of aviation practice at the firm of Shackelford, Bowen, McKinley & Norton. And Kent Jackson is partner at Jet Law, LLC. And Kent, I'll begin with you. Why can this be such a complex topic?
1: It's funny that it is complex because it's also the norm. Most aircraft are held in LLCs. The complexity that comes into the game with insurance is that we need to make sure the insurance companies understand who the operator or operators
0: are. David, what are your
2: thoughts? Insuring aircraft under an LLC is no difference than insuring an aircraft under an S-Corp or a C-Corp or any other kind of structure except that, as Kent noted, number one, LLCs are generally by far, in this realm, the most common form of structure. But the problem in the industry is that so often people who don't understand the federal aviation regulations want to set up an LLC to be the owner of an airplane. They'll elect to treat it as a disregarded entity, which is a federal income tax filing concept, not a FAA or an insurance concept, and then they'll have the LLC fly the members of the company around under the FA's non-commercial rules. And that creates an automatic conflict between the FA rules and some general risk management principles and and what the insurance contract may say. So almost invariably, if you're using an LLC, if it's a holding LLC, you have to do leasing. And that's been a big problem within the industry is the insurance companies not necessarily focusing on that aspect of it and what that means.
3: Kent and David indicated this, that we have a lot of areas of law and concern involved. You know, when you set up an LLC to own an aircraft, whether it's operating the aircraft or leasing an aircraft for operation by others, you're dealing with the FAA rules. You're dealing with corporate law or or entity law in the state you're uh, organized in. You're dealing with business law. And then also common law and statutory law in the state you're in and the state you're flying in. Tax laws as well. So each type of law looks at the aircraft and the arrangement differently. And because of that, I think it's easy for concepts to get confused between areas of law and also for misconceptions to kind of permeate.
0: One question from the webinar, Joanne, concerned what red flags we should look out for to indicate that an LLC registered aircraft operated as a dry lease might actually be considered an illegal charter.
3: If I'm the customer, and I'm calling a company for charter and they offer me uh, this other arrangement instead. That's a big red flag. You know, we don't have anything available for charter, but you might consider this other dry lease arrangement. And by the way, we have pilots that you can use as well. That would be terrible. Run away, do not go there.
2: I totally agree with what Joanne said. And I would say to some extent, if you're flowing through an aircraft manager or management company, and you're not really talking to a party that actually owns the airplane, that raises some questions as to who's really coordinating what. And people a sophisticated purchaser of these services should have some concept between the non-commercial and the commercial rules. Are they really selling themselves as charter or are they staying away from that? And that goes back to Joanne's note, that if they're saying, well, we're not a charter, we're leasing, but don't, don't worry, we'll take care of everything. Those are contradictory statements.
1: I agree with Joanne and David that it's a balance of flexibility versus responsibility. If you really have flexibility in making decisions about the use of the leased airplane, and you understand you have the responsibility for those decisions and the use of the aircraft, it's probably legal. If you have virtually no flexibility in the decision-making, the decisions are made for you. And if you think you don't have responsibility, then uh, those are red flags.
0: More answers to your questions in a moment after this word from our sponsor.
4: Take your aviation operations to new heights. Introducing Varyon, formerly known as ATP, your ultimate partner in achieving maximum aircraft uptime. At Varyon, we understand the challenges faced by everyone in aviation. Our industry-leading technology solutions revolutionize aircraft management so there's no more waiting, no more wondering, and no more wasted effort. Get real-time visibility of your maintenance, inventory, operations, and regulatory data right at your fingertips with an easy-to-use system, backed by a team of experts with deep aviation knowledge, offering 24-7, 365 support. After 50 years in the business, we have built a growing reputation for getting our customers more aircraft uptime. That's why thousands of aircraft operators worldwide have already discovered the power of Varyon. Say goodbye to downtime and hello to increased efficiency and profitability. Visit Varyon.com to learn more. Varyon. Let's get you more uptime.
0: We're back now with David Norton, Joanne Barbera, and Kent Jackson, and our discussion about insurability issues with aircraft held under an LLC. Kent, another question about dry leases, asked about the difference between having a certificate of insurance naming the lessee versus having a lessee specifically listed on an endorsement to the policy.
1: The first thing to understand about that question is the insurance industry doesn't have one set of standard forms. And so unfortunately, when we talk about specific terms or specific forms, what we're looking for is to make sure that each party is properly insured for the risks they're taking. So if you're an operator of the plane as a lessee, but not an owner, then you don't need to be the loss payee if there's damage to the aircraft but you need to be covered for liability for your operations and unfortunately how that is accomplished isn't standard within the industry and having a certificate of insurance may not answer those questions an endorsement typically does But you need to be an intelligent consumer of the insurance product, understand whether you need to be insured as a lost payee, if you're an owner of the aircraft, and separately understand, are you protected against liability uh, if you're an operator?
3: You want something from the insurer with your name on it that would be helpful and you're looking for what types of coverages apply to you in the way that you're named. So is it liability coverage? Is it as a named insured or in some other capacity? So I think it's important to ask for that, but you also then have to read and understand what
2: you've been given. David? I'd also, I'd be careful, you know, to Ken's point, there's, there are a bunch of different forms, but as a general rule, A certificate of insurance quite often is issued through the broker and endorsement actually comes from the underwriter. And most certificates of insurance, they give the data that you want to see, as Joanne said, indicating that there's policy in place. But at the bottom of the certificate, most of them say this is not binding on the underwriter. They're only really good if they're married up with an endorsement once you have an endorsement that actually modifies the policy itself to make sure that you're you really are getting the coverage that you're looking for so you gotta you gotta talk to your broker look at the certificate sometimes it's worth insisting on an endorsement
0: david what's the difference between named insured and additional insured
2: that's a really good question a named insured is essentially the person who buys the policy, the person who's in contract with the insurance company. You can have more than one named insured. It's possible to have several named insureds. Named insureds bring with it comfort that all of the scope of the coverages under the policy apply to that person and their operations. The downside with a named insured, and why you don't necessarily want to name everybody named insured, is it also gives you certain rights and obligations that you might not want to extend to an occasional use of the aircraft, somebody that you still want to fall under some portion of the coverage. Kind of like Kent mentioned, if you're a lessee who uses the airplane occasionally, you're not necessarily gonna be the one that wants to be the lost payee, which would generally be associated with being the named insured. So an additional insured means, okay, there's a named insured, there's somebody who's purchased the contract, there's full coverage for them, an additional insured is coming along, typically for the liability insurance, for the for what happens if heaven forbid somebody's hurt or there's property damage outside the aircraft. The danger with additional insured, and I see this all the time. I bet Kent joined do all as well, is if you're doing a lease to somebody, so you want them to assume operational control. Uh, as Kent mentioned, you know they're the ones who become responsible for it, and. All the insurance carrier will give you is an additional insured. Most additional insured endorsements or certificates limit the coverage to the operations of the named insured. Well, if you're doing a lease, that's the whole idea is under most policies, that's not considered an operation of the named insured. That's a considered an operation of the additional insured. And, and you can do it. And most policies will allow you to get additional insured providing coverage for the actual operations of the additional insured.
3: I think that just stresses the importance of looking at the words, reading them and making sure that each element is covering you for what you're doing in the arrangement.
0: Joanne, a couple of questions from the webinar concerned know your client regulations for dry-leased aircraft. How can operations meet those requirements?
3: Well, I think you have to look at yourself as a person or entity leasing an aircraft as a lessor and determine what regulations apply to you. I would say in general, no lessor wants to be leasing to someone on the State Department list or on the Department of Commerce list that involves persons not to do business with. So I think it's important, to, whether the know your customer information collection and check requirements specifically apply to you to, as a best practice, go ahead and check the lists, ask for the information so that you can do so. And um, just from an anti-money laundering, anti-terrorism point of view, I think you want to know something about who you're leasing to in order to satisfy those general good business practice requirements. Also, this is your aircraft, your LLC's aircraft. You care where it goes. And I think you do wanna know something about who you're leasing to and how the aircraft will be used. If nothing else, that's important for insurability purposes, but also just for good business
0: practice. Kent, another question that was asked was, do insurers generally understand that when an aircraft is FAA registered in the name of a lessee, it's because that lease is considered to be a contract of conditional sale?
1: The insurers may or may not understand. It's important for owners and operators to understand what a contract of conditional sale is. And what it is, is a rent to own agreement. So the user of the aircraft, the lessee, is going to make payments on the lease and at the end of those payments will own the aircraft. In that type of arrangement, the FA allows them to be the registered owner on day one of that contract of conditional sale. The insurance challenges that come with a contract of conditional sale, Understanding who the operator is, And so it is the lessee who is also the registered owner. The insurance company also needs to know who to pay in the event of damage to the aircraft. And that is going to change over the course of the agreement. So at the beginning of the agreement, the loss payee should be the actual owner who's not the registered owner.
2: I think you tend to see con- conditional sales contracts more often in the transport category arena. You see them sometimes, I see them occasionally on, on the business aircraft side of things. Perhaps a bigger problem is a lot of people will put leases into place that are really conditional sales contracts, but they don't recognize that and they don't treat the registration issue correctly. And I think that can create problems if there's damage to the airplane and there's a fight over, well, wait a second, I've already basically paid for the airplane. but the seller's getting to keep the funds from the payout on the accident. I'll also note, kind of embedded in that question is, in a sense, the F.A. and the insurance industry speak a common language divided by a common you know, common people divided by common language. The insurance carriers are generally cognizant of the F.A. rules, but what they're really focused on is their contract, not the F.A. rules, so that's that's an inherent disconnect
0: This is such a big topic, David, and we could spend a lot more time discussing the nuances involved. But is there anything else you'd like to highlight or that we haven't touched on yet between this podcast and the webinar?
2: I'll just point out, I mean, CIT is the special emphasis investigation team that is still very active and very interested in making sure that people are doing leasing correctly. That's going to just continue to raise the issue of properly address the insurance because I think, there's, I think there is a growing awareness within the insurance industry, but there's still more that needs to be done as far as interfacing with insurance carriers so that they are comfortable that they understand the risk they're insuring and that we can get appropriate insurance for appropriate dry leasing operations. I'm glad
1: that David brought up the, the FAAC team. A good way to think about this among pilots is situational awareness. Pilots talk about situational awareness as as a safety concept in flying and being aware of all of the factors that affect the, the risks that they are managing, and this is a situational awareness scenario. You can't look at one item and decide you're okay. As the FAA has stressed many times, a lease on its face might be legal but the facts around it are not. And so pilots should apply their their situational awareness skills at looking at this issue.
0: Joanne, anything to add?
3: Just continuing the conversation with your legal counsel and with uh, your insurance broker, knowledgeable aviation insurance broker would be important if you have any questions in this area.
0: Yeah, I don't think we can emphasize that enough. As with any issue that involves more than one regulatory body or set of regulations, it really helps to reach out to professionals like my guest today and the other presenters on the webinar. And speaking of that, I also encourage you to check out that NBAA news hour we've mentioned Is Your Aircraft LLC Insurable? at nbaa.org forward slash aircraft LLC, along with NBAA's insurance and risk management resource at nbaa.org forward slash insurance. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Uh, 3500. Right, we got him inside. We're slowing it back to 170. Coming.